Hello, this is Joe and TJ, and we are the Schoolhouse 302, and we want to welcome you back to Focus Ed for Season 4. We are truly excited. Focus Ed is a collaborative project with the University of Delaware, the Delaware Department of Education, and the two of us, Joe and TJ, at the Schoolhouse 302. TJ, tell our audience a bit more about Focus Ed. Absolutely. Focus Ed is a podcast that gets recorded with a live audience. We do 14 episodes every season. We're in season four, but you can find season one, two, and three on our site at theschoolhouse302.com. It's a professional development experience for anyone who wants to attend, and then we blast it out from our site. We interview great leaders, authors of popular books, and experts in teaching, learning, and leading so that you can lead better and grow faster in your school or district. Thank you for listening to Focus Ed, and we hope you'll join us live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Focus Ed. Each episode of Focus Ed, we invite expert guests to join us, and this episode, we have Mike Roberts. Mike, thanks for joining us on the show. Hey, happy to be here. appreciate the invite. Absolutely. We are focused today on Mike's book, Hacking Classroom Management and what we can do as school leaders to help teachers provide the best environment for our students to learn. TJ, please tell our audience a bit more about Mike. Sure thing, Joe. Mike Roberts has been a middle school educator for more than 20 years. In that time, he's taught English, he's been an instructional coach, and he's currently an assistant principal. Over the course of his career, he has received numerous awards for his outstanding teaching, including being named the 2014 Utah English Teacher of the Year and the 2018 Utah Middle Level Teacher of the Year. Mike also teaches college classes focused on classroom management and literacy in the content areas. He has served on many educational committees and has been a featured speaker at dozens of state, regional, and national conferences. Mike's most recent book is Hacking Modern Teaching, 10 Ways to Build Student Engagement, Maximize Success, and Inspire Authentic Learning. It offers a variety of strategies to help teachers and students thrive within today's modern classroom. Mike is also the author of Chasing Greatness, 26.2 Ways Teaching is Like Running a Marathon, where he shares advice from some of the best teachers and runners from across the country as a way to help you reach your highest potential. He's also the author of Hacking Classroom Management, 10 Ideas to Help You Become the Type of Teacher They Make Movies About, which identifies a variety of strategies that empower students in the learning process. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight with our new leaders and our live audience and those listening in. When he's not teaching or presenting, Mike can usually be found running ultra marathons in the mountains. And even after all these years, he's still not sure which takes more energy a week with middle schoolers or running a hundred mile race. That's probably true as a former middle school principal. You can find Mike at thebaldenglishteacher.com and on Twitter at Bald Roberts. We're going to be tweeting tonight at Bald Roberts. The crowd can do that with and for us. Mike, let's dive in here. You wrote a book called Hacking Classroom Management, 10 Ideas to Help You Become a Type of Teacher They Want to Make Movies About. And we want to know why you decided to write that book. What's in it that teachers need? What are the most important ideas that people can glean from it and use in schools for teachers and school leaders? I think the biggest thing that I try to stress is trusting yourself to take some chances. When I first started getting into the game, 
it was all about if my principal walks in, I want my students to be quiet and be working. And I'm going to show my principal, look at all these assignments I've had them do. And that's going to prove that I'm a good teacher. But even in my first early years, in my gut, that just didn't feel right. And when I started thinking about the teacher that meant something to me growing up, it was all about the teachers who showed me a little bit about themselves, who reached out to me on a personal level, who connected with me beyond the curriculum. And so that's what I hope the main takeaway from this book is to trust your instinct to try some new things. Yes, there are some things that, you know, you must do, but there are ways I think that you can do it that are creative and that connect with students and make it more impactful to students rather than just doing the status quo. Some of my presentations I talk about, a lot of teachers teach the way they were taught. The problem with that is they were taught from a teacher who is teaching the way that they were taught. And that teacher is teaching in a way that they were taught. And so that teaching method that a current teacher is using is actually something that maybe goes back 40, 50, 60, 70 years that might not be as applicable in today's classroom as it was when it originally started. So uh, hacking classroom management is about finding ways to create that learning environment that is engaging, that is exciting, that gets the class involved in what's doing. And rather than passively taking in the learning, they're actively involved and engaged in learning. Mike, most of our audience is new administrators, at, either at the principal or assistant principal level. And I appreciate you, you know, really emphasizing the idea of connecting beyond the curriculum. Can we get granular with that? And what are some ways you have found that excellent teachers connect with students beyond the curriculum that might be a traditional classroom management practice? or just very good engaging instruction? Yeah, first off, shout out to all the new administrators. I am there with you. I'm in month four of the whole process, so keep fighting the good fight. In terms of you know engaging beyond the curriculum, there are lots of things. Anytime you can include some pop culture to connect to what you are doing, it's a huge benefit. Any English teacher out there, you know, one simple thing to do is no matter what book you're reading, what story you're reading, it has themes and those themes are kind of universal. That's why the book and this article and the story are so popular. So one thing that you could do is say, hey, here's a story we read, pick whatever novel you're reading. Let's make the soundtrack for that novel. So kids get to go through and say, here are some popular songs that I like and they're connecting the themes within the book and they're making that connection to a different type of text, but they have to justify and support it. Anytime you can connect what you're doing in one class to another class is going beyond the curriculum, you know, from the way I see it. Anytime you can make those cross-curricular connections is good. To me, the teachers that meant the most to me were the ones who went beyond the curriculum. And I'm a big fan. One of the things I talk about in the book is find those moments where you can go support your students outside of the classroom, especially at the secondary level. If you can show up to a sporting event, if you can go chaperone a dance, if you can go watch a band performance, that type of stuff will get paid back tenfold in the classroom. And you don't have to hang out for the whole thing. A lot of you are like, wait a second though, I don't like basketball. Well, guess what? A lot of your students don't like the class you're teaching, but they're showing up for that. So you can show that same respect by showing up because what they will like is you and what they will appreciate is you being there. And so I call myself the king of the cameos. I'll walk into a game, high five some kids, wave to some parents, shake some hands, watch the first half, and then bounce that second half. And then that next day in school, I see those students and I'm like, hey, 
great first half. I saw you with that steal. Nice job there. How'd the game end up? And I think this goes for teachers as well. If teachers know you care about them more than just them as a teacher, you're looking at them as a person, that's where those connections will happen. One of my goals as an administrator for one of my New Year's resolutions was to make sure I get into every single class and have a meaningful conversation with every teacher in my school at least once a week. Now, that's a lot easier said than done. I can tell you that because, you know, as administrators, you know all the stuff that comes your way. But if you want to make those connections, it does take effort. And this goes back to the teacher. You can be a really good teacher and not make those connections. But I think it's really hard to be a great teacher who doesn't make those connections. So to take that next level, whether it's from being a good teacher to a great teacher, or from being a good administrator to a great administrator, it takes that intentionality to go out of your way to make those connections, whether it's how was your weekend, you know, what movies are you watching? I mean, there's just so many different ways you can go beyond that curriculum as a teacher and then tie it back into your curriculum. I always say sometimes teachers have it backwards. We take our content and try to make it interesting to the students. I think it should be the other way around. Find what's interesting to the students and connect your content to that. That way, your students are already bought in. Hey, we're going to be making a TikTok video today. Woo, that's cool. About, and then the content. You've already got them involved with the TikTok. Hey, we're going to be analyzing some songs today, looking for themes. Boom, you've hooked them. Hey, we're going to be watching this YouTube video about something they're interested in. And then I'm going to connect it back to the learning so you kind of reverse back into it. It's like parallel parking. You kind of back in and then straighten it out and move forward. So the more you can get different perspectives, I don't even know if that answers your question. I just kind of started going there. I hope that covered it. All right, Mike. So you talked about beyond the classroom, moving beyond the classroom, but I want to go back into the classroom again. You're working with teachers now as a school leader. You knew what to do as a teacher yourself. What are you finding that's missing beyond just the connection that we need to make with kids, with what they're interested in? What are some strategies that teachers could use for classroom management? Because I think the new leaders in the room who are obviously also working with new teachers, there's just some things that if we could make classroom management better, we can make accessing the content easier for kids. Can you talk a little bit about the classroom environment and what you're looking for there? Yeah, I think it's important that teachers are authentic to who they are. I see some teachers who go to a conference and they're like, oh, I'm going to do this. And they try to become a miniature version of the presenter they saw. And kids can see right through that. And I always argue students want the most authentic version of you, not an imitation of someone else. So whatever your style is, you know, whether you're the funny teacher, whether you're the serious teacher, whether you're the teacher who is very structured, lean into that. Don't fight against that. Lean into that. But then also challenge yourself to try some new things. And this is the big one for teachers is we get very comfortable with what we've done in the past. And I think it was JFK, conformity is the enemy of growth, is what he said. And once you get comfortable, I have a system that works. To me, that's the enemy of moving forward, of getting better is, well, this works because yeah, you have something that works. That's all the more reason to be trying to take some chances and trying some new strategies because, you know, you may have a system that works, but what if there's a system that works even better? And you're never going to find that if you just get stuck in that, this is the way I do things. So a couple of things that I changed over the course of my career as a teacher, number one was seating charts. You know, when I first started teaching, everybody had their seat and that was their seat no matter what, because that's what I put into the system and that's it. You're locked in. 
as I started, you know, getting more confident with trusting my students a little bit more, I gave them the option of let's find out where do you want to sit? I mean, right now, you know, everybody who sat in a faculty meeting, imagine if you walked in and your principal's like you right there, you third seat there, you second seat in the back, you know, we'd be like, wait a second, hang on. Why are you telling me where to sit? I can handle this. And again, I think a lot of times we think, well, students can't handle that. And as teachers, we oftentimes go to worst case scenario. We go to zombie apocalypse style, you know, this is what's going to happen. When in reality, usually seating charts are implemented because there are like two or three kids who can't handle it. So we punish the other 27 who can because the two or three who can't. So seating charts is one thing that I really changed is giving those students that opportunity. If they can't handle it, then we make adjustments. But one thing, like I said, that's kind of been altered over the years is I'm more of a let's try it and see what happens rather than let's not try it because of what might happen. So seating charts would be a big one. Allowing students to turn in work late is another one in class that I think has really benefited students and kind of relieve some of that stress of the grade. I have a philosophy that some is better than none and late is better than never. And so I used to have grading policies that if you turn it in one day late, it was 20% off two days late, 25% off, three days late, 50% off. And then I wouldn't accept it after that. And, you know, after a while I started looking and I'd have students who would turn things in late and get a really good score on it based on the content, but then their overall score would be lowered. And it just didn't sit right with me for a student to get a C in a class if they fully understood the content that I was presenting. And so that's another one that's changed. I eliminated, you know, taking off late points and things like that. And again, a lot of teachers freak out and they're like, wait a second, that means everything's going to get turned in the last day of the semester. No, it doesn't. Johnny, who hasn't done anything all semester, is not suddenly going to get a fire lit under him the last two hours of the term, okay? What it does do is allow those students who might need a little more time who, you know, if you're talking secondary, that kid may have, you know, been working that night and didn't get a chance to finish it. I want to be respectful of what goes on outside of their lives. Just like as teachers, we sometimes need, hey, a little extra help with this, a little extra time on this. So seating charts I got rid of, late penalties I got rid of. And then my favorite one that I like are self-assessments. I would have my students self-assess constantly. Once a week, they do a little self-assessment. I'd say, here's what I want you to pay attention to. Write me up a self-assessment on how you think you did. I would have students write a paper. Here's the expectations. Here's the, you know, the content, the core areas we're hitting. How do you think you did in those? And again, a lot of teachers jumped to that conclusion. Oh my gosh, if I did that, all my students would get A's. And they jumped to these conclusions without having tried it. And that's what I always say. Have you tried it? Because I have, and from my experience, that is not the case. Generally speaking, I would say students, once they understand the system, how it works, about 70% of them are dead on. If I say, here's the expectations, my view of those expectations is pretty similar to theirs. Now, some of you are sitting there saying, wait a second, though, that means 30% are inflating their grade. No, it doesn't. What it means is about 20% are too hard on themselves. I mean, I've had kids give themselves a C plus on an assignment because they said, yeah, my punctuation was bad. And it's like, wait, you think punctuation is 30% of your grade? And so then we talk through about how it works. So 20% of the time I got to boost grades. And then yes, there are those 10% who sometimes, you know, overinflate things, but that's part of school is teaching them, hey, here's the expectation. Here's how to manage it. So those are three things in my class that has really helped the, the classroom management 
and it gives them a sense of ownership. And it goes from being my classroom to being our classroom. And rather than being, here's the seating chart I've given you, here's the seating chart you created. And rather than being, here's the grade I give you, it's here's the grade you've earned based on what we both think. So those are some things that inside the classroom, they're super scary tweaks, don't get me wrong. And especially if you got some old school teachers who are like, no, this is the way I've done it, you know, since the Carter administration, they might have a little tougher time and new teachers in the house are like, who's Carter? I got you. All right. But they might be a little more challenging to get to that point. But I think, you know, a lot of our newer teachers and even some of the veterans who realize that teaching is a fluid career where things often change, they may be willing to try some of these. Mike, those are excellent examples. I'm going to synthesize here just for the audience a little bit so we don't lose a little bit of what you said. What I'm hearing on different levels is, one, we're moving from a controlled environment to an empowered environment. I want to put a point on that because we often speak of agency and giving students agency. And this, to me, is an easy way, much easier in then certain circumstances that we could do so in the classroom. And the other, though, is I think a really meaningful point for us as educators is quit worrying so much and live with a little curiosity and see how things go. And I do think for new administrators, that's huge to embrace because we always think it's an A plus B equals C formula. And then we realize that's not so much the case. You know, we learn and grow. I like the idea of self-reported grades. You know, that has a lot of evidence and research. Hattie's done a ton with that. And although you didn't mention it, it sparked my mind, student-led conferences. You know, the whole idea of getting them again to this idea of empowerment. Can you just speak to those a little bit, particularly, if you will, that control versus empowerment and how teachers can set that environment? You gave some very specific examples, but how do they move in that direction and let like really a slow degree of release to the students? Yeah, great question. And again, I think the word control is great. When I first started, I wanted complete control. And now that I've been in the game for 24 years, Man, the last thing I want to kind of be guiding the ship, but not controlling and driving that thing. So one simple way that when I mention it to teachers is very eye-opening. It's just giving students options. And I always say there's lots of different ways. I'm a runner. And I always say there's lots of different ways to get to the top of the mountain. I don't care how you get there. You can go around and around and around. You can go halfway up, then back down, then back up. I don't care how you get there as long as you get there. So by giving students an option to what fits their style of learning best is the more options, the better. Plus, as a teacher, I can tell you, I would much rather, instead of reading 180 papers on the one topic that I assigned, I would much rather get a handful of papers written on a variety of topics mixed in with a video, mixed in with a poster, mixed in with a presentation. I would always try to give my students four or five or six different options to demonstrate the learning because my goal is, can you demonstrate this particular skill and how they do that? Hey, I want to give them those choices. And so I have seen some really, really cool things from students that I would never think of. And to me, that final grade should encompass a variety of approaches and a variety of ways for students to show that, not did they guess correctly on a multiple choice test. You know, if they can write really well, let's have you be writing that paper because some kids will do well on that. 
Some kids do really well on the multiple choice. So you got to offer that. Some kids want to include some technology in there. Some kids want to just go old school and draw something. I've had kids write songs that summarize, you know, a lot of the learning that we've done. The more options you can give them, the better. One of my options is always do something that impresses me where it's up to them. You want to talk about agency. Here it is. And here's a quick little story. We were doing an oral presentation and on oral presentations, I was always about, I want you to work on your public speaking skills, your eye contact, your volume, your pacing, your organization. So I would say you pick the topic because I don't care about the topic. I care about, are you getting better at speaking? I figure if you're comfortable with the speaking or the content, then your speaking skills will be better. But this girl said, I have an idea for a do something that impresses me. She said, I want to do an oral presentation. I said, sweet. She said, well, can I dress up? And I was like, yes, you can dress up. You know, that's what we all like. She's like totally getting into it. So she's okay. I'm going to do it Tuesday. I said, perfect. So Tuesday rolls around. Here she comes in. She's doing it on horseback riding. And she comes in in her little horseback riding outfit. And I was like, oh, look at her go. She's killing it. She says, okay, Ms. Robertson, I'm ready to present. I said, all right, let's go. She says, oh, but we have to go to the backfield real fast. I said, what? She said, oh, didn't I tell you? I had my mom bring my horse. <laughs> I was like, no, I left that one out. So we go out to the backfield. Horse is there. She gets up on the horse and does her oral presentation on horseback riding and all the show moves that she does with the horse right there. And it's one of those things, you know, as I kept in touch with students, those are the things that students remember there. Do you remember that time so-and-so brought her horse into class? It's those little things that would have never taken place had I said, do a five-minute presentation on X. I said, I want you to do whatever you want that can show us that you learned something. She wanted to do the presentation. She picked a topic. She picked how she was presenting it and it made the learning much more meaningful to her as well as to everybody in the classroom. That's an inspiring story. I don't know that I ever had a horse out of the back of my middle school when I was a principal, but we did have some funky stuff happen and everybody in the room can relate to that too. I wonder, Mike, if we could just switch gears just slightly to talk about leadership, your growth, and some experience you have. Our listeners love when they can get some things to connect to, resources, people, go-to people. And so I kind of want to make sure we ask a couple of questions in that vein. We've talked about the camp. Cameos. We've talked about the classroom experience. We've even talked about self-assessment and self-reported grades, giving kids lots of options. How did you come to be getting to be an author, your own leadership growth, coming to being the modern teacher? What supports you? What resources should we go to for teaching, learning, or leadership in schools that you would say, you know, beyond my own books, this is what inspires me. And these are the resources that I would tell everybody in the room to go to any listener who's on the other end of this. I'm big on setting goals for myself and personal challenges. And I'm really big on smaller bite-sized goals. You know, it's great to say, oh yeah, I'm going to lose a hundred pounds this year, but I try to break it down into much smaller. Hey, instead of losing hundred pounds this year, let's try losing like two pounds a week. Because I think a lot of times when you set these big goals, if you would have asked me before, you know, I've written the books that I've written. Hey, do you think you could ever write a book? The answer would be no. That seems like overwhelming. But hey, do you think you could write down, you know, five pages on this cool teaching strategy you have? Yeah, I could do that. Well, what about this other teaching strategy? Yeah, I could do that. And so to me, it's breaking goals down into manageable chunks. And I also am a big believer in how do I get 1% better every day? What is just 1% more that I could get better? 
What is one way I could improve what I'm doing? And so those first few years of teaching, it was just a matter of, can I be a competent teacher? Not a great teacher, a competent teacher. One who's competent when I go into the classroom. And I encourage all the administrators out there to remember back what that was like. When you're evaluating those first and second year teachers, you know, you got to realize they're still trying to figure out the whole having confidence in front of a group, having that content knowledge. So, you know, to think, oh yeah, all my teachers are going to be these exceptional teachers. That's the dream, but that's not the reality. That said, there are a lot of good new teachers who just need that encouragement. For me, you know, I was an instructional coach for a couple of years. One author who really influenced me was Jim Knight. And I went to a webinar session with him and it stuck with me. And I still use it with my teachers that I'm evaluating now. You know, after I go into their classroom, rather than me saying, well, let me tell you what your class was like. It's a matter of, all right, how do you think that went? And it's a lot like that self-assessment with students. A lot of the stuff that I encourage teachers to do with students, I encourage administrators to do with teachers. Hey, how do you think that went? On a scale of one to 10, what would you give that and why? You know, hey, I noticed this. How could this be changed? And avoid those why questions when you're talking with both students and teachers. When you ask that why question, people automatically kind of get defensive. Well, why did you do this? Instead of exploring, hey, explain to me, you know, how this went versus why did you do this? Why did you do this is, oh my gosh, I did something wrong. Now I have to justify it. Explain how you think this went is, oh, here's how it went. And it becomes more of a conversation more than rather than just defending. So Jim Knight would be a big one that's influenced me. I'm a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell. I mean, I know it's not really in terms of, you know, straight education and educator and all that, but just kind of how do people work? How do their brains work? How do they come up with these ideas? So I really like Malcolm Gladwell's work. As far as more of a inspirational and things like that, David Goggins and Jocko Willink, a couple Navy SEALs are always good for that discipline and like, no, you got to hold yourself accountable and how do you get better and all that kind of stuff. So there are some names that kind of get me fired up and have helped mold me, but it wasn't, you know, I was a teacher. Then it's like, how do I become a better teacher? Then I was like, okay, I'm a pretty good teacher. Now, how do I start sharing these ideas? So I started presenting a little bit more and started going to conferences. And then it's like, okay, well, now I have all this information. What's a way I could help distribute it more and help others? Well, I could become a, an adjunct professor working with teachers. Okay, well, I'm pretty good at that now. So what's next? Well, why don't you start sharing these ideas in books and some bigger conferences? It's been a gradual process in my 24-year career to get to where I am. Nothing happened overnight. There is no magical moment where suddenly, you know, I'm doing all this stuff. I do this and then add a little bit more to my plate. And once I get comfortable with that, you add a little bit more to your plate. Once you get comfortable with that, a little bit more. It's a lot like running. Nobody goes into their first race generally and runs a marathon. We usually start off with, you know, run around the block and think we're going to pass out. And then you get into, you know, I can run a mile and then I can run a 5K, then I can run a 10K. It's just adding tools to your tool belt over time. And I think everybody has the capability to do that. It's just a matter of being willing to put in that time. And again, I haven't found the time becomes overwhelming because the better you get at something, the easier it becomes. So for me to write a lesson plan my first year, that was some work. For me to write a lesson plan my 10th year, you know, we're talking like half the time, if that, which then gives me that same amount of time that I have that used to be spent on lesson plan, I can now put that time into something else. And so you just get better at understanding how to manage your time and how to use your time effectively and efficiently. Excellent response, Mike. We'll definitely link to Jim Knight, Gladwell, Goggins, and Willing. 
in our show notes all four individuals that TJ and I are big fans of as well. We have featured extreme ownership in a couple of our books, so people hear more of Jocko Willink in the educational world. And I've made my own kids read Goggins, You Can't Hurt Me. I think that's a must read. We would love to have him on the show if he could not say the F-bomb every other word, although I truly appreciate his directness, but he is also a phenom in the running world. Yep. Mike, to think about the next three to five years, you've had a lot of success in the classroom. That's evident. Your books, and like you said, speaking, you're in a new role four months in. Like, what does that look like for you three to five years? What is the impact you want to make in your new role in this school for those students? Yeah, I guess for me, it's to help lift up teachers to be the best that they can be. It's not about, you know, what am I going to do? It's what am I going to do to help my teacher and help my students? And so that's the one thing when I was a teacher, I looked at my classroom very much almost as a, in a silo, like here's what I'm doing. And now as I've started branching out more into the instructional coaching and the administrative role, that silo has been blown up and it's not now, what am I doing to improve who I am? It's what can I do to help others improve? And so for me, the next few years is all about how do I get better at helping others get better? And so I wish I could say, hey, here are some great strategies. I'm still searching those out, to be honest. But what I found, like I said at the very beginning, is making those personal connections goes a long, long way. You know, today I've been in five or six different classrooms, and it took me away from some things that needed to be done. The value that time in the classroom is going to be paid back more than the email I could have sent. And when I do visit those classrooms, I always follow it up with a quick little email, thanking my teachers, giving them a little shout out for something I saw, and then offering up a tip or a suggestion. And so it's not just a matter of, hey, I'm making that appearance in your room. It's I'm making that appearance. And, you know, I always say, thank you for letting me visit your class today is the title of the email that I was actually just sending out before I got on this call. And to let them know they're valued, to let them know they're seen, to let them know they're appreciated. Because being a teacher is hard. It's getting harder and harder every single year. And so I think the more I can show teachers that they're appreciated and that they're recognized, that they're valued, that will then turn to them maybe sharing that with their students to let their students know that they're appreciated, that they're recognized, and that they're valued. So I'm really hoping that the next three or four years, there's a trickle-down effect of me helping lift up teachers so teachers can lift up students. Mike, that's a phenomenal answer and kind of a great way to wind down here. I mean, you're inspiring the room and the listeners at home to think about being in classrooms as often as possible to lift and celebrate our teachers and to help them with tips to become superstars and what you say in the book, movie stars, if you will. And I love that as kind of like one of our final conversations here. Is there anything else that you'd like to add for listeners, something that we didn't touch on, one thing that you'd like to make sure that you say as we close out? Yeah, I mean, I truly, in my heart of hearts, feel that teaching is the coolest job in the world. And you have the opportunity to make such an impact on the lives of the students within your classroom. And I mean, every single one of us who's in this room right now or who's listening, you can think of a teacher, whether it's good or bad, who made an impact in your life. And as you're a teacher, as you're an administrator, it's a heavy burden to think that. But at the same time, it's truly, truly, truly a great opportunity because, I mean, I always say my goal as a teacher is to be the answer to the security question when you forget your password. 
You ever have that question? Like, who is the name of your favorite teacher? I want some hacker like 10 years from now to be like, who is this Mike Roberts? Because dude, everybody <laughs> loves this guy. That's when I know it's like, no, I made a difference because I got a great interest rate on my mortgage. I can't tell you who my mortgage broker is, but I can tell you Miss Ipsen's fifth grade class. I can tell you what we did in that class. Teachers have the impact, the things they say and do. And I think administrators, same thing here. The things you say and do can last for generations. Something you say to a kid, either positive or negative, that kid can hold on to that until they're an adult. Or that kid can say something to a friend of theirs who's going to say to a friend of theirs who's going to say to a friend of theirs. So the words we say and the impact we have as teachers and school leaders can go on and on and on. And we need to be very cautious in how we use that power and use it for good rather than using it to drag people down. I think you're either building up or you're tearing down. And I hope as teachers and educators, we really use our time to be building up those around us, whether it's students, whether it's parents, whether it's teachers, just constantly work on how can I build up and improve things rather than complain and drag down things. Well, Mike, I've taken a ton of notes here, pages of it, in fact, and I know Joe has as well. And I can hear the people on the background nodding, shaking their hand, typing, writing. And I think it's phenomenal that we've had this time together, especially with a live audience with a bunch of new leaders. And I wrote this as a final sentiment from Mike Roberts. Teaching is the coolest job in the world. The things you say and do can last for generations. And I just love that. I hope somebody tweets it out right now. This has been fantastic. You heard it here on Focus Ed. Mike Roberts, everyone, how about a round of applause from our live audience behind us tonight for Mike? And as always, this podcast was brought to you by the Delaware Academy for School Leadership, the Delaware Department of Education and the Schoolhouse 302. Don't forget to follow the schoolhouse302.com for podcasts, blog posts, books to read, and more. We'll be back soon with another episode of Focus Ed. And until then, stay focused. Hey leaders, before you go, one more announcement. We now have available for you our candid and compassionate feedback masterclass. Really, because of high demand, we are thrilled to offer this. This is a course that we run live and in person all the time and leaders love it. They learn to give feedback with skills that they can use right away, including better praise to lift and celebrate your team. It's now available in a virtual online format that you can take on your own, self-paced, from the comfort of your office or home. Here's what you'll get. There are 11 lessons with a focus on nine candor cancellations that we wrote in our Candid and Compassionate Feedback book. These are mistakes that leaders make that we don't want you to make anymore. We'll teach you models so that your feedback is meaningful and we'll give you tools necessary to build the culture that you always wanted. Trust us, without these critical skills, you're not capitalizing on your own capacity to lead better and grow faster. Go to the site, theschoolhouse302.com, click on shop courses, add this course to your cart and start learning today.